Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today on the podcast, our guest is Speaker Nancy Pelosi. We are talking with the speaker about how the United States might be on the brink of another nuclear arms race after some developments that just happened in Russia. We're also talking about the 2020 field, and we're talking about her negotiations with the president over the wall. You may hear some clicking in the background while we're talking. That's Chronicle photographer Jessica Christian, who's in here taking pictures of the speaker. So do not be alarmed. That is not your podcasting speaker. Next on It's All Political, Nancy Pelosi. Speaker Pelosi, welcome to It's All Political. Welcome Thank back you. to San Francisco. Let's. I, I want to get you to respond to something uh, that President Trump said of you today. We'll start at the border because, of course, we have to start there these days. Uh, today, the president said of you, I've actually always gotten along with her, but now I don't think I will anymore. I think she's hurting the country very badly. I think she's doing a tremendous disservice to the country. If she doesn't approve the wall, it's, the rest of it's just a waste of money and time and energy because it's desperately needed. We know you're, you're holding very firm to no wall, no money for the wall. But I wanted to give you a chance to respond to the, with the president. This is a personal the attack, something he hasn't uh, done much. The president's comments this morning are uh, par for the course for him. He always projects onto other people what he knows he is guilty of himself. He knows he's being totally irresponsible in all of this. But what is he going to say except the other side is? But that's – watch what he says. Sometimes when he says things, you think – you're talking about yourself, Mr. President. Mm. I respect the office that he holds. Uh, I will always be dignified in my uh, comments about him or uh, in response to him. I won't stoop to his level. Uh, but again, he's classic Trump this morning by projecting his own um, shortcomings in terms of this wall discussion onto me. The president said he, uh, perhaps more alarmingly, he said that the uh, he's set what he's done so far is set the stage to take action on his own, like declare a national emergency. Uh, he said, if I, I'll continue to build the wall and we'll get the wall finished. In that case, what I mean, what options do the Democrats have other than fighting this in court and kind of stall it that way? What can you do legislatively? Well, I think it's important uh, to take a step back for the American people to see what the president is saying in this situation. First of all. He said that um, Congress is wasting its time to have a bipartisan discussion, House and Senate, on con Congress working its will. Article 1, the first branch of government, the legislative branch, a check and balance co-equal branch uh, to the executive branch. So this is our responsibility. He shouldn't call our responsibility a waste of time, especially bipartisan, bicameral. A. B. Uh, he has uh, been abusive in terms of his disregard for the concerns of 800,000 families uh, who have gone without a paycheck because he said, that's my leverage in this discussion. We're saying, if you have I say to him, have confidence in your ideas. Just let's have a debate about what is cost effective, what really does the job, what is the opportunity cost of the money you want to spend here that we could be doing uh, that you're taking money from other things. So let's have that discussion. But don't hold hostage 800,000 families. And many additional families who are contract employees, many of them low-income families could ill afford missing a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, depriving the American people of the services rendered 
by our public employees. Uh, so uh, the families suffer, the contract workers suffer beyond that because they're not going to be paid uh, even after the, the shutdown ends. And uh, hopefully we can pass legislation to help them. But right now they're in a difficult place. So it's about the workers. It's about the American people who are not receiving uh, the services that they deserve. And it's about our economy in general uh, that is um, suffering from this. Uh, very manifested in the communities where our public employees live. Mm-hmm. I want, been wanting to drill down with you on something you've been talking about. How you, when you describe the wall, you call it immoral. That's right. And um, why is a border wall immoral? We have we have hundreds of miles of wall border wall already. We people have walls around their homes. They have walls around their communities. Um, why, when you say immoral? What do you mean? And where, what's the root of that when you call it immoral? Well, I'm not alone in that. Uh, the, uh, uh, anyone who spends any time on the border see, knows that it's a community with a border going through it, mm-hmm. uh, that there's a, but there's an exchange of commerce, of education, of families communicating with each mm-hmm. other. Uh, it's a community. And, the, uh, and if you listen to my colleagues from the area, uh, the communities there are safer than other places in our country. So the president uh, labeling what's happening at the wall the way he has as a crisis is just not right. But why I say immoral is this. The president's talked about a 30-foot high, something like that, massive concrete wall from sea to shining sea, mm-hmm. dividing, dividing people. That's not right. That's not who we are as a country. And don't pick up his lines by saying people have walls around their houses. That's not the same thing Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. separating our country from another country. The president I quoted most in the campaign was Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. His final speech. His final speech. You know that he he said that when we fail to recognize uh, that the vital force of America's preeminence in the world is every generation of newcomers who come to America with their hopes and dreams for their families. So uh, this is not, this is about who we are as a people. Uh, I do think that what we are proposing, we certainly know we have a responsibility to protect our borders, all of our borders, not just the southern border. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so our proposal contains uh, uh, what is based on evidence. The president has a fact-free zone. That's called the Oval Office. And maybe even beyond that. But if you look at the facts and you look at the evidence, you will see that most of the uh, drugs, that calls that the main threat, and it's a terrible threat. The drugs that come through, 90% of them come through the ports of entry. So we're saying beef up the ports of entry with more construction, more personnel, and more lateral roads to facilitate trade, uh, uh, tourism, immigration, First and foremost, security. Mm-hmm. Uh, technology, uh, it, the president, building a wall is like building a landline across America. Let's use our smartphones, okay? Let, the technology has moved even since some of the physical barriers were constructed a number of years ago. So, so if you have uh, the technology now exists that is excellent to scan, non, but the non intrusive scanning of cars and trucks who come through, they don't even have to stop. Mm-hmm. They just keep going, and and the uh, technology can scan and detect for guns, for drugs, for other contraband, like an electronic dog. Dogs are probably the best, but nonetheless, yeah. can't have all dogs. And then um, use some of that technology in other parts of the border uh, f- uh, f- to, for detection. 
Uh, we also have areas of complete agreement with the president in terms of he has come around to agreeing to the half a billion dollars for more judges uh, to adjudicate these cases more quickly and efficiently, um, a lot of a hundred, a few hundred million dollars for humanitarian assistance at the border so these children are dying in the custody of the uh, Border Patrol, whether it's for food, clothing, uh, accommodations, and um, medical care. Uh-huh. Uh, we talked also about a legislation uh, to, again, lessen the need for this by sending money to the Northern Triangle countries to hopefully In mitigate America, for the yes. damage there. Now, that's hard because we have to see how that money is spent, right. but to the extent that it can uh, help people stay home rather than risk running the right. risk help of Help their coming. economies out, right. Right. And so we have many areas of agreement on that. Uh, the uh, The fact is, is that uh, much of the wall that was in previous legislation has already been built. If there's a place where we think that physical, you know, they have these Normandy fences. Have you yes, seen that? 300 I, I miles of Normandy fences. When, when I saw that you said that. The Normandy miles fence fences. is sort of like a, a fence that uh, cars can't go through, but people can. A child could yeah. climb over. Yeah. But that's 300 miles that he's bragging about. So you want that? Have that. Yeah. No, I have that. Are, are we, cars from coming through. The other day, Hakeem Jeffries, one of the top Democrats in the in the yes. caucus. Yes, very proud of him. Yes, uh, he said he said to be okay with enhanced fencing in a deal that is quote reasonable. He said that on Meet the Press the other day, and it, it, as you just said, you're okay with the more Normandy fencing. So is the president. Is this? He said if he wants to build, a, call that a wall. Call it a wall. Is are we down to semantics here? Because I think to a lot of Americans, it sounds like what's a fence, what's a wall. No, it isn't. What, the American what, people are against the wall overwhelmingly, mm-hmm. and even those who are for it say you shouldn't shut down government uh, to have that debate. But here's what the thing: right now, the, the negotiation is in the hands of our appropriators. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an appropriator. That's one of the cultures I was forged in in Congress: appropriations mm-hmm. and intelligence. Many years on both of those committees. And I know, left to their devices, in a bipartisan way, the the Appropriations Committee can reach a solution. This is House, Senate, Democrats, and Republicans. Um, They know uh, the need to protect our border. They know the resources that are available. uh, And they uh, weigh the equities and come up with solutions. Without any interference from outside, they can get this done. Mm -hmm. For the president to say that this is a waste of time shows his disregard for the Constitution of the United States, which says that the power of the purse rests with the Congress of the United States. Let's go to another uh, foreign country. Uh, Secretary of State uh, Pompeo said that the United States is not going to follow this 1987 nuclear weapons treaty because Russia has violated it, and uh, Russia has... uh, jeopardized the United States security interests. Um, and this week we heard, uh, also heard from the intelligence chiefs uh, saying that uh, Russia and China are more aligned at any point than since the 1950s. You served on the intelligence committee for many yeah. years. Are you concerned that we're about to jump into perhaps another arms race? And what should we do what next? What the president, uh, the administration is proposing and what the secretary announced is very dangerous. Uh, if they have a problem with the INF, that treaty, then they should say, uh, we we have a concern about this or that aspect of the in- implementation of it. But to withdraw from it is very irresponsible. And one again, once again, a an, an evidence of the president working the will of Vladimir Putin. 
And I've said it over and over again, and I will say it again. What do the Russians have on the president politically, financially, or personally? That he is their handmaiding. Let's look in to see if we should pull out of NATO. Let's pull out of the INF. That's so irresponsible. It goes beyond the pale. And what further evidence of his lack of judgment on these subjects than his comments on his own intelligence chiefs when they testified uh, about the hot spots throughout the world? He said they have to go back to school or something yes, like that. They, they don't know what school. they're doing. Yeah, right. I know, and, and I will be proven right. Uh, he doesn't understand that uh, intelligence is evidence-based. And as I say, he lives in a fact-free zone, and that's the atmosphere that he's comfortable in. He doesn't have to know the facts, so he doesn't have to act upon them. It's very dangerous. This is a dangerous administration, and the public has to know that. But I will not, again, I'm not stooping to his level, but I do think we have a responsibility to point out policy differences that make a difference, and what is the motivation for them? What what should we be doing instead? I mean, should we sit that and try and continue negotiating, or what's the next move? You mean in terms of the INF? In terms of the INF. Yes, of yes. course, because next he's going to be with the START Treaty. And this mm -hmm. is, you, you cannot go down that path. The, he has tried You're concerned to, that that would be the next thing to fall? I'm concerned about every breath he takes. <laughs> <laughs> this past week, the um, Jerry Brown... Sam Nunn and Bill Perry came to my office concerned about the doomsday clock. Mm -hmm. We're two minutes away from midnight on the doomsday nuclear clock. There's very serious concern about the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. It wasn't only during the, the uh, Cold War where it was, uh, and this was during the Cold War when this, uh, when this treaty uh, was, was uh, signed, before the wall came down. So this was not just about the by uh, the two the two forces mutual uh, you know protection for each other right, by signing sort of such a thing. Yeah. There are now some uh, lone wolves and and rogue nations and the rest out there that were concerned about having these. So they came in and met with some of the leadership house and senate and they will be meeting with Republicans I'm sure too uh, to talk about uh, how important our focus on stopping nuclear proliferation is and how important honoring our participation. And this was before this all happened, correct? Oh, yeah. This it's, was, a yeah, week this, this and was and last week. Ago. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it just seems like it was this week, but time goes by so fast. Yeah. And, and um, so Jerry Brown has made this like one yeah, of his. Yeah, this is one of his pet things. His, pet, yeah, his yeah. pet things. Yeah. But he, was, he came in with Sam Nunn and Bill Perry. Bill Perry was very much a part of, during the Clinton administration, dismantling of many of the weapons of mass destruction. Uh, if you go to his office, you'll see pictures of, of sunflowers where uh, missiles used to be. Hmm. Uh, and and uh, the nuclear capacity, of course, is a danger to the world. So they're, in a bipartisan way, completely non-political, there is concern about nuclear weapons and the wor safety of yeah. the world. This president, there's no justification for this. If you have a concern about how Russia is honoring it, or if they have a concern about how we are honoring it, let's sit down at the table and discuss that. But to throw it out like that is really a gift to Vladimir Putin. Why do you think he's doing this? Why do you, what, where is this coming from? I don't uh, know. Why would he uh, abandon talks and what's the danger of this? Well, what's the danger of him saying that we should 
uh, not necessarily be part of NATO anymore. That is the the the, the red ribbon wrapped gift to Vladimir Putin. Nothing is more than music to his ears. To he, the head of the former head of the KGB, uh, knowing what he knows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let. Um Representative uh, Jayapal was in here yesterday on the podcast, okay. and uh, we were talking about Medicare for All. She'll, yeah. she'll be sort of the lead writer of the House bill on Medicare for All, correct? Or she's I, part I of the. I have no idea. That there are many people, but she's certainly a leader on the subject. I don't know who's leading the bill. That's going to be up to them. You have been a longtime advocate for universal coverage, and of course, That's you right. are the 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 guardian uh, angel of uh, the Affordable Care Act. That's I'll give you that title. <laughs> and uh, right now, 58% of Americans get their health insurance through their employer. Mm-hmm. Under a Democratic single-payer plan, will people be able to keep their provider if if they want to? I mean, is that... What did she say when you interviewed her? Yeah, she was proposing she's con- she, Well, she's putting it together. And let she, me say this. Would, let, what let me what just would say you this. like to see in a single-player plan? I thank you for bringing this up. Okay. This is a very important debate for our country to have. So when people come in and they say Medicare for all, single-payer, all that I say Affordable Care Act is the path to universal access to quality affordable health care. But let's put it all on the table and make comparisons. The simple fact is this. If you have an, if under the Affordable Care Act, you have better benefits than under Medicare. Medicare recipients have to go buy a catastrophic uh, plan and plan for other specific uh, um, needs. So if you're going to have Medicare for all, you better improve Medicare because otherwise people will have less, fewer benefits and less, less good coverage. So what I'm saying to them is, okay, discuss it. What is the, what is the benefit to the consumer, the patient? What is the cost to the consumer, the patient? What is the cost to the system? What is the cost to the taxpayer? And, and let's have that discussion, which we should have. But don't say you have some affordable um, Medicare for all or the affordable care. If you don't have the affordable care, you don't have the money to take this down the road. Understand that that is where this is. So there are questions. And it's a legitimate, healthy debate, and Congresswoman Jayapal has been a champion on this. And many of my colleagues over the years, that's when you ask who's doing it. We've, we've had practically brawls in the Congress about who's going to go forward with single payer, who's going to go forward with this, because people have been there for a long time, and been advocating it for a long time, and then other people come in and, and say it's mine. So right, again, right. That, they'll okay. have to work. I wouldn't Are think you agnostic that's about- a level of politics I couldn't possibly understand. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> is there? Are you agnostic about it? But w- whether it's single payer, whether it's a public option, how well, you I get to universal coverage? Option. Yes, I wanted a public option. We had it in the House mm-hmm. bill, and I think the public option uh, uh, would have improved everything, would have saved money, and also given more option. However, uh, we couldn't get that passed in the Senate and and um, uh, signed by the president. But it. We could still go to there. As I say, there are things we could do to the Affordable Care Act, and that's one of the reasons I stayed in Congress, to protect that access to affordable quality health care, known mm-hmm. as the Affordable Care Act, but build, build on that. So the simple, question, the simple answer to your question is single-payer, Medicare for all. Some people use them interchangeably. They're not interchangeable. They're mm-hmm. two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then, then some people, when they're talking about it, even – informed people were talking about we should have what they have in the UK and Canada. That's a different story. That's a delivery of service. 
I don't know that single payer Medicare for all people are saying, and the government should be the delivery of services mm-hmm. to people. That's a different step. Right. Well, but, the, but Kamala people, Harris got in trouble this week when she said, well, public, you know, insurance companies, that's all right. Let's get around. They'll go away. Are you concerned about I don't think she got herself in trouble. I think it's, it's a discussion. She started that, a discussion, that has yes. To, <laughs> has to happen. I think she did very well. But I think that it, it points out that there are ramifications to every discussion. Mm-hmm. Nothing is that straight a path. It would have been done a long time ago. Right. But people do like their uh, – the. Um, employer-based insurance. Uh, What's the argument to take that away? And where does the responsibility for the public sector, the private sector, to provide that benefit to their employees? But again, just put it all on the table. Every situation is an opportunity, an opportunity to subject what we're doing to the scrutiny of how it could be better, an opportunity to see what the the most cost-effective, values-based benefit-packed um, um, package we can put forward. And that's a, that's a discussion. When people ask you for Medicare for all, some 56% or something say yes, mm-hmm. but do they know what that means? Maybe right. they do. I don't want to disrespect their knowledge of the subject, but I think that a lot of people who are talking about it um, uh, need to show what the impact is on the, on the patient, on their pocketbook, as well as on their benefits. Let's uh, as a as a climate longtime climate change advocate, I wanted yeah. to get your take on on what's what's going on with PG&E. Um, mm-hmm. Some are saying that this could be the first climate change bankruptcy, mm-hmm. inspired bankruptcy. Do, what do you do? You have any thoughts about whether it should be monopolized or broken up, and what what role, if any, should the federal government have in this? Well, I think we have to get the facts. But I, I have been a supporter of public power for a long time, much to the dismay of uh, some at PG&E. Uh, but again, uh, the um, exposure that they had in terms of liability, et cetera, as a result of these fires shows uh, uh, the need for us to revisit this because w- what was the responsibility? What could have been avoided? And uh, therefore, where does the... Uh, uh, accountability, what, who has the deep pockets that mm-hmm. should be helping to pay for all of this, and what does it mean in terms of the, the ensuring of, of such entities and the rest. I think this is, uh, of course, you ask it in terms of climate. Uh, I'm glad that we're putting forth our climate um, select committee this week, mm-hmm. and we really have to go to that place because of disasters, whether they're fires, floods, hurricanes, whatever they happen to be, and mm-hmm. the cost that they are to uh, to individuals, but also uh, to the public and the private sector. So again, let, let's take a look at all of that and um, understand that I don't know who's responsible for each and every one of the fires, mm-hmm. but there seems to be in the mind of the judge uh, that PG&E did not do enough. So let's just see what that is. But as I say, I think just as I was for a public option, I'm for public power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who else is in San Francisco tonight, Speaker? Howard Schultz, presidential camp, uh, bringing his quote-unquote presidential campaign book tour here. Um, I wanted to get your take on, if he gets into the race, does this help Trump? Well, I think any third party getting in the race, uh, uh, let, let's put it this way. The Trump situation is so different from anything else. 
And there's such negative attitude toward the president. I mean, he will hold his one-third base no matter what. Right. But nonetheless, that's not elect to be elected president. So if somebody, so uh, we believe that we have a very good chance to win the White House the next time. Our array of candidates is spectacular. The determination of people to say, whoever it is, we must win. So let's see how we can win this. So if you come in and you take some of the negative votes of President Trump and take it to a third party, then you are in, uh, strengthening President Trump. So I think people should have to think very clearly about what their what they what their why is. Why are they running? What do they have to propose to the American people that is so compelling that people will abandon the Democratic and the Republican Party uh, to elect them? It's very hard to do. It's very hard to do. Yeah. Uh, what are their priorities? What what is it? I, I don't like the Democrats. I don't like the Republicans. So I'm running. What are their what is their vision? What is their knowledge of public policy? What is their plan to get something done? And how do they connect with the American people? And I can tell you this from experience I know of viewing public uh, presidential candidates on our side. Mm -hmm. You can have all the vision of va based on values, all the knowledge based on experience and judgment, all the strategic thinking and plans to go with it. If you don't connect, you don't win. Yeah, yeah. So we have to have that connection. So how does he see his connection to the kitchen table concerns of the American people. He has to be for something, in other words. He, he can't just be... Everybody has yeah, to be yeah, for something. Yeah. But you know what? I, what? I respect anyone who wants to take responsibility for public, for civic engagement and public policy. And let's just see how it goes forth. I know somewhat, some, I connect with his family in some ways on animal rights and the rest, and I know um, they care a great deal about that. So... I love them for that. All right. Um, one more question I wanted to ask you, kind of kind of uh, something that someone asked me a couple of weeks ago uh, about you, and I didn't have the answer to this. Um, they said, okay, who does uh, Pelosi go to to um, for uh, to bounce ideas off of? Like who is – you have mentored. You've been in the business 40 years. You've mentored many people. Mm -hmm. uh, you uh, obviously give advice to many people. Who do you go to? to for advice to to who is your mentor at this stage of the game you mean outside of being very prayerful about it yes outside um, outside of no no, no I, that's, I think reflecting that's, praying yes opening up mind someone on, on earth yes <laughs> <laughs> well don't underestimate that's, the power of prayer yes no no i believe <laughs> believe me yes, yes. i pray for the president all the time and i said to my parish priest the other day again it's not working. They said, you must not be praying hard enough. <laughs> In any event, uh, it depends on the subject. Mm -hmm. I have really been blessed with knowing so many people who have been um, expert in their field. They have a sh we have a shared value. Again, I get back to it. A vision about something for our country that is based on our values, our patriotism, not particularly political but uh, again, uh, who have knowledge on the subject, so I trust their judgment based on our shared values and their knowledge. Uh, the, I'd like to talk to them about what's the clearest path to getting something done in that regard. And, the, um, and so it just really depends on the issue, whether they're my colleagues in the House or my colleague friends in the Senate, many of whom came from the House, yeah. whether they're governors around the country, 
former presidents, whatever. I mean, do you, I mean, like Jerry Brown, uh, Willie Brown, people that we know here, uh, other people around the country who are some of the... <laughs> I mean, uh, no. uh, Jerry Brown I have been uh, closely associated with mm-hmm. over the years, and I like to get a take from him because it's always un, uh, unembellished. You know, it's just straight <laughs> yes, out. No. But let me tell you the greatest source of wisdom, mm-hmm. the American people. Uh, I work very closely with the the groups, uh, advocacy groups, whatever. But they may be on the progressive side of the spectrum. They may be in the uh, uh, patient advocacy groups. They may be in uh, issue. People have worked a long time for so economic, social justice, whatever it happens to be. And they, because I said to you before, it doesn't matter if you don't connect with the aspirations of the American people. And they have the best handle. The others may have the vision, the knowledge, all of this, but they have the this, mm-hmm. the, the connection uh, to the American people. And so I spent a good deal of time on a regular basis, two nights ago most recently, the outside groups to say, what is, you know, what is it that will, because the outside mobilization makes all the difference in the success. The inside maneuvering and our talking among ourselves mm-hmm. is really important. So you know what you're talking about. But the outside mobilization about what is connecting with people. For example, when we were fighting the tax bill, you know, the mm-hmm. uh, tax scam that gave 81% of the benefits to uh, to the top 1% that was in the dark of night and the speed of light without any hearings, uh, passing a bill that was so unfair. When we were fighting that bill, the outside groups were saying the best way to fight it is to show what its impact is on health care. Mm. In our country, it has a man. It takes away the individual mandate, uh, the, the the deficit that it causes, the increase to the national debt of nearly two trillion dollars that it causes. Uh, how are you going to pay for it? The administration put forth a budget that took almost that much money out of Medicare and Medicaid. So, so they are a source. And that was of effective. Great, yeah. That was uh, yeah, it. Did the job. Yeah. <laughs> and it won the election. As yeah. a matter of fact, it was mm-hmm. you know it was a a, a policy purpose. But then, because people said, how did health care rise to be the issue in the campaign? It was no accident. These groups had 10,000 events throughout the country educating the public as to what impact this public policy would have on their lives. So there's great wisdom in the public, and I pay great attention to it. I also know the difference between grassroots and astroturf. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> we, had that, we had that conversation many years many ago. ago. And, yes, and yes. it's still there. It's they just, so you there. can't even imagine <laughs> how much money they have up here. El Dwab, El Dwab. And our yes. people are like, respect the people. You know, yes. they, they, I think I quoted they, you saying AstroTurf once, and that went nuts. The people, when you said you called someone AstroTurf. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I do that. Yeah. <laughs> Speaker Pelosi, thank you so much thank for you, coming Thank you, my pleasure. Okay. Thank you. I'd like to thank you all for listening today. I'd like to thank Speaker Pelosi for coming into the studio here in San Francisco. I'd like to thank the King, King Kaufman, for producing today's episode. And remember, whether the biggest problem in your life is Donald Trump or something else, it's all political. It's All Political is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. 
follow me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli, J-O-E-G-A-R-O-F-O-L-I, or you can email me at jgarofoli at sfchronicle.com. Support, it's all political, and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.